I'd rather be focusing on what's going on in my book than my son's underwear, which I'm folding over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and over again. That sounds like my yesterday afternoon, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 129. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. If you're feeling a little deja vu this week, it's because guest Oshita Moore has been here before. Reach way back in the What Should I Read Next archives, and you'll find her in episode seven, talking about uplifting books, fan fiction, her audiobook addiction, writing her first book, and the importance of what she calls her brown girl's bookshelf. Today, I'm catching up with Oshita to get updates on that bookshelf, her own book, and the podcast that was just a baby project when we first chatted. After I've caught up with her, we'll rewind the clocks and experience the original interview that started it all way back in 2016. Let's get to it. Oshita, welcome back. Hey, Anne. I'm so glad to be back. Well, it's so good to talk to you again. I talked to you on episode seven on February 16th, 2016. That was a long time ago. Dog years is seven than internet years. In <laughs> podcasting years, that is a really long time. That's true. Podcasting makes everything feel longer, especially when, like me, I'm in the editing every week. So it feels way longer than what it really is. But yeah, it's been a long time since we connected for the show. A lot has changed in your life. Yeah. Since February 2016. Okay. So I'm talking to you in snowy Minnesota, but you moved there from, was it Southern California? Yeah, we were in LA. And it's so funny. And when people ask, oh, how long have you been here? I'll say, oh, we moved from L.A. at the end of November. And there is this deep sense of concern (laughs) and grief that comes across people's faces like, oh, no, why are you here? (laughs) So also, since we talked two years ago, you started a podcast of your own that we've gotten to talk for in the meantime, and you had a book come out. So all kinds of big stuff happening in your world. A lot of things happen. I think the podcast was like a couple episodes in when we first did our podcasting, like you said, it's longer than dog years. And I'm only at episode 50 because it took me a long time to figure out my rhythm, like my editorial calendar, like organizing episodes and recording them and then editing them and then publishing them. It took me a long time to figure that out. And so it still feels like my podcast is very new, even though I look back and I released my first episode a couple years ago. Yeah, and 50 episodes, that's a lot. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about it for people who haven't listened. So my podcast is called Shalom Sisters, and it's a podcast for, I I like to say it's a podcast for peacemakers, but it it really is the combination of a really great um, coffee date and a workshop with somebody who is trying to be a peacemaker in her everyday life in some cool way so that we can learn, like, what does it look like for us to be agents of wholeness and goodness and flourishing right where we are, because I think a lot of times we imagine peacemakers to be either these perpetually kind and gentle people with a halo on the, above their head or people who go to school to learn conflict man- management and prevent the diplomat from typing in the nuclear codes, like that peacemaking on that diplomatic level. But really, I believe that we all have the capacity to bring peace right where we are. We just need eyes to look for it and know how to do it. And so that's what the podcast is about. It started out, it had one name and I was mostly thinking about peacemaking in the city because that's our story. That's what we're passionate about. But a lot of my listeners were like, well, we don't live in the city, but we care about peacemaking. So can you expand it? So I did. And once I did that, I found that there are so many more women that I can interview 
for the show. So many new stories we can hear and so many different ways of learning to be peacemakers that we can practice. So that's what the podcast is about. And I'm really excited about it. I love it. It's fun to talk about my favorite thing, which is how can we bring goodness in a time when our lives and our country feels really full of conflict and we don't know where we fit in to making the world a better place right where we are. Yes. And that dovetails beautifully with the content in your new book. Can we still say new at this point? I mean, it's six, six months old. It's still a baby. Yeah. Your book is still new, right? Reading people still new. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it is new, but it's not new, new. So <laughs> our books are growing up together. So what came first, the idea for the book or the idea for the podcast? Oh, that's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it just gets all like mushed in together. Yeah, right. You know, because especially when it's like, it's been, I've been writing about peacemaking for six years online. It feels like my book kind of just came out of my natural writing. But where did the podcast fit into that? Oh, you know what? I was working on the podcast before the book. So I had the podcast, but it was that Urban Ministry, Urban Life podcast first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I was on our mutual friend's show, Sort of Awesome, Meg Meg Teeth's show, and talked about Shalom, which is the Hebrew concept for peace, flourishing, wholeness, goodness. That was a really well-received episode. So then my publisher and I were working on one book idea. We pivoted and that was the best decision ever because all of the things in my life were working together. So I was thinking about podcast stuff, thinking about book stuff, thinking about online stuff. And that's just the best way for me to be a creative person is it's all kind of working together. They're in synergy differently than if I'm like thinking about politics for this thing and thinking about something else over there. So they kind of happen together. Well, you were working on a book when we talked, but I did not know that you pivoted. That's so interesting. Thanks for telling us about that. And that's really fun. I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did. Yeah. I mean, I've learned so much about the publishing world, as I'm sure you have. I didn't even know pivot was an option, but yeah, so I'm happy about it. That's great. So what has starting a podcast and releasing a book done for your reading life? Oh, good grief. Okay, so I wrote for The Art of Simple that I realized that I'm a distracted reader. So I know that it's hard for me to focus on reading. Like, I have to be very intentional about it. Like, I have to work it in my will say, like, I am reading at this time or I'm doing these things to help me read. But that's like reading for my own enjoyment, my own fulfillment. Reading for the podcast it has to be scheduled completely separately or reading for the book. Like, I'm working on a second book and how it's affected my reading life. I almost have to include reading for work in my work day when I sit down to do my scheduling just in the same way like when I plan my editorial calendar or when I'm editing a podcast or when I'm editing a blog post like I'll have to say I'm going to read this book for 10 minutes to prepare to think about it for the show whereas like if I'm reading for my own self I'll maybe buffer in some time where it's quiet and comfortable in my house and I'll say these 20 or 30 minutes I'm reading you know, children of the blood and bone or whatever, something mm-hmm. that I really am mm-hmm. interested in. Yeah, I remember hearing Jen Hatmaker say that when you are a writer, your main industry, like the main thing you work with are words. And so realizing that for myself, like I give, I have so many words <laughs> that are part of my work life that I have to actually like conserve some time for words for my own personal enjoyment. I have to be careful about that. What are you reading these days when you're reading for your own enjoyment? Okay, so... I've learned a trick to help me because, again, I'm a distracted reader, so I kind of like to change things up. I figured out this trick for myself. So when I go to my library hall, I always get a nonfiction. I get a fiction. I get a collection of poems. 
and I get a magazine. Or if I don't, if I can't find a collection of poems, I get a collection of essays. And so I kind of bounce back and forth between all of those, which I'm sure I didn't come up with that. I'm sure I probably heard it on your show or something, but doing that has really helped me. So right now, the collection of poems that I'm working through is called One Big Rain, Poems for a Rainy Day. It's really beautifully illustrated. It's a bunch of these fun little poems about each season and what rain or rain looks like or feels like in those seasons. I think I'm kind of hopeful, too, that the snow will turn to rain because then that means it's warmer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually reading two novels. The first one, I'm almost done with Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adeyemi. I'm seeing that everywhere. It's really good. I just started The Talented Ripkins by Lottie Hubbard. Uh-huh. which I heard on the podcast, Get Booked, which is Book Riot's uh-huh. personalized suggestion podcast. And then for my nonfiction, I'm working back through the books and Naked Anabaptist by Stuart Murray because I'm an Anabaptist. That's the type of Christian that I am. I just wanted to go back and reread Anabaptist and Anabaptism. And so The Naked Anabaptist is my nonfiction. So that's what I'm working through right now. And it's been really helpful to kind of have like those different books. So I can say, oh, I feel like diving into this book. Also, mm-hmm. The Children of the Blood and Bone, I have it on audio. So I use the Audible credit for it. So sometimes when I feel my mind wandering because I'm a distracted reader, I'll pop in the audio along with it so that I can read it. Especially when I come across Yoruba, which is a language that I don't quite, I'm not quite sure how it's supposed to sound in my mind. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. Oshida, I remember that you're a huge audiobook listener, and we get questions from a lot of readers who say they have a hard time focusing when they're listening to audiobooks and they're looking for tips. Now, do you think you've learned some best practices that help you focus, or do you think that's just the way your brain works? It takes the audio really well. I think it's a little bit of both. I started listening to audiobooks when my kids were really little, and my house was really loud because I needed that escape. It helped me actually focus and feel like I was taking time to myself. When my life was really distracting, audiobooks mm-hmm. was that, like, safe respite. But also I found if there's an audiobook that I really want to listen to, here's an example, like Born a Crime. Mm-hmm. We know like it's set in South Africa. Trevor Noah is an amazing narrator and I really want to get into it, but I'm having maybe a hard time focusing. What I'll do is I'll go and maybe listen to a podcast with the author to kind of hear their stories and kind of hear like what their inspiration for the book or I'll look at YouTube reviews. Like I'll try to like get as much outside information about the book that gets me excited about it so that when I'm listening to it, I really do want to focus. And I also do this thing that Gretchen Rubin talks about, which is bundling. So taking something that feels really monotonous that you hate and pairing it with something that you're interested in. So I save all of my most hated chores for when I'm listening to audiobooks. (laughs) That way, I'd rather be focusing on what's going on in my book than my son's underwear, which I'm folding over Mm -hmm. and over Mm -hmm. and over again. That sounds like my yesterday afternoon, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not great at it. I'm actually, like, a few times I've wondered, should I still keep my audio, my Audible membership? Because sometimes I just don't get as many audio books. But I feel like the ones that I do get, I've done all that kind of research. I've listened to the samples. I'm really excited about it. And so when I do get it, that helps me focus. Gotcha. All right. I've been holding on to this question for a really long time. Okay. What is the current status of your Brown Girls bookshelf? I really love this question because I was thinking about the Brown Girl bookshelf for my daughter because she is really starting to get really into books and she... How old is she now, Oshita? She's 11. Okay. She likes to read biographies. She's she's not very into fiction, but she prefers nonfiction and biographies. But 
I want to read a book with her. I tried to get her to read all the way through A Wrinkle in Time with me because we were preparing to go watch the movie together. Mm-hmm. She lost interest, which I totally get. That's one of those books that you have to be like the right age, right mind frame. You maybe even need someone to process it with who loves it as much if that's not your kind of book. And she's not really into sci-fi. But I do I do have a book sitting with me called The Bells by Donnell Clayton. Oh, I don't know it. It's a sci-fi, like, YA book set in New Orleans, which is where my husband and I met. So my daughter, she's really into our love story. Like, she loves a good, you know, she loves thinking about her us getting together and looking at pictures and thinking about New Orleans. It's a, it's a very romantic place for her. Uh-huh. It's about these women who are beautiful. Everybody else is, like, gray, but they, these particular women are beautiful, and so they hold the power in that society. And so it's all about, like, what is beauty, what is true beauty, and internal beauty and like there's an african-american woman on the cover it's an african-american author and so i feel like this is a really great book to add to the brown girl bookshelf i've also been trying to read like face-based books written by women of color so i'm really excited about austin channing brown's new book coming out called i'm still here i got that yesterday i can't wait to get started i'm really looking forward to it I'm so looking forward to that book. So I've been thinking a lot about reading more women of color uh-huh. who share my faith perspective and hear their stories and see how it lines up with my story. So, yeah, that's how it's going for me. I think the suggestions you gave me were a really good start. So I follow that Twitter account, the Brown Girls Reading. I'm t- I can't remember if that was the Twitter account you suggested to me. We talked about Black Chicklet, who have since started a podcast. Yes. That's another thing is trying to find other mediums for learning from Black authors or Black readers to help me build that bookshelf. For readers who want to steal the books off the shelf and put them on their own, um, what are a handful of titles that you've really loved over the past few years that you would recommend as starting points? Definitely, I would add Children of the Blood and Bone. The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory <laughs> just came out. Yeah. <laughs> that was like my guilty pleasure. I really appreciate oh, some, so that's going to be a little much for some readers. It's pretty racy, <laughs> I but I thought it was so fun. It was fun. So I'm okay with a little steamy. I felt like she handled the, you know, the steam pretty well. It wasn't, you know, but it could be a little racy. I really liked, t- this is going to be so racy. <laughs> But I actually really liked it. Um, We're going to need more wine for this from Gabrielle Union. I haven't read that. Okay. The reviews were so mixed. Okay. Tell me about it. Well, okay. The reason I liked it is because I am a child of the 90s for sure. And Gabrielle Union was the like picture of like the beautiful, fun, best friend. And, you know, of course I'm, I'm a black woman. So as a black teenager, I was looking at her being like, oh, she was the friend in all of our favorite teen rom-coms, right? I've always had like a special affection for her. Also, she has a really fun Instagram account. Like I really love her relationship with her husband. And so when I got, I got the book, I was traveling and I think it was, I think I just needed something because I was like delayed in in the airport and I just needed something to take my mind off of being frustrated about the delay. And so I started reading it in one of the bookstores at the airport. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get the audiobook. So I got it. And it's she's an actress, so it's really well read. The stories are, are really funny. But what I think I love most about it, if you can get past some of her, her language, and she's very open about her sex life, if you can get past those kind of things, it's a really interesting look at a Black woman's story coming of age in a predominantly white community because she was raised in Southern California and, you know, her family was like the only Black family on the block. Her dad was a very successful businessman. And so 
If that's a story that you don't know anything about or that you're interested in learning, what does it look like for a woman of color to come of age in predominantly white spaces? That's a really frank, it's like a best girlfriend telling you like, this was what my life was like. Mm -hmm. And so much of it resonated true for me because I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. So, So I would say those books to begin with, make sure I'm saying the title right, Amina Owen Brown's book. Ooh, How to Fix a Broken Record. Yes, How to Fix a Broken Record. That one is on my bookshelf and that's really good. And then um, let me think what else. I really like, even though I just started, I would say The Talented Ripkins. If you like uh, magical realism, it's a really, really good book. It's about this guy who is at the end of his life and he has this uh, ability where he can create maps in his mind. And so he um, hid all this money throughout the course of his life. Well, at the end of his life, these mobsters come to him because he stole some of their money and they he has to like repay the debt or they're going to kill him. So he goes back to Florida and he, he's like collecting all the money that he hid because he has this ability to create maps in his mind. And then he picks up his niece. All, all Everybody in this family line has this ability to do something that makes them a little bit like superhero. Mm-hmm. And so she has an ability too. And so he has to teach her how to use her ability and how to like function in the world. It's, it's, a, it's like a really great, I don't want to say coming of age. It's like a road trip story for sure. Yeah. But it's written by a black author. The main characters are black. And so it's like perfect for my brown girl bookshelf. That is fantastic. Thanks you for sharing those titles with us. Of course. It's so good to catch up with you. Thanks for coming back. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Bye, Anne. It was great to catch up with Oshida. Now we're jumping back in time to hear about her reading life before that explosion of creative work. Let's get back to it. Oshida, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Anne. Oshida, on your blog, you've written a lot about why reading is important to you. Can you tell us a little about what and why you read? Yeah. So I have always been a reader. And so I know that I've heard other people say on the show, like, um, you don't understand, you don't remember a time where you didn't read. And that was really my life. Um, my parents had a huge yard and we had a lot of big trees. And so I had like my tree that I would sit under and read. It's, you know, very idyllic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I was always reading. Um, and so I love to read a lot of really good fiction that has the ability to take me from where I am and drop me into an exotic and new place that I would never actually be able to go to. But because I'm reading this book, I can't experience it. And so I just really love the ability of authors to fashion sentences to to transport you from one place to another. And then I also read um, a lot of nonfiction about, I'm a parent, so I like parenting things. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of work in the inner city, so I like to read books on justice. Um, I'm working on a book, and so I'm doing some research for that. Um, so those are the reasons why I read. I do have to, um, I feel like I have to admit that I tend to listen to stories more. So fiction, I really love audiobooks because I think that the narrator adds just another level of uh, just interest to a story with the accents and voice inflection. Mm-hmm. And and I do most of my actual like reading uh, like with my nonfiction. And I'm one of those active readers. I have to have a pen and a highlighter and I make notes in books. And so mm-hmm. um, it's kind of hard to make notes along with a fiction <laughs> book. And so that's why I really, I'm a huge Audible fan. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. Here's how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love. 
Okay, so three books that I love. The first book that I love is A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I typically am always asking the question, what should I read next? And so I like to go to bookstores and libraries and see the shelves where the either the librarian suggests or you know your bookseller suggestions. Like I love just standing there and reading and hearing why people love to read books. And um I have never, I had never heard about a discovery of witches and that, and apparently it had been out for a long time because when I started reading, when I read it, the second book was already out, mm-hmm. but I, it was at my librarians, it was my librarians pick for around, I think maybe Halloween, you know, cause discovery of witches is a story. It's basically Deborah Harkness thought, what would a vampire and a witch do? Like, what would their life be like? like their everyday life, like what kind of jobs would they be, would they have? And then what kind of story would they have if they fell in love with each other? Uh-huh. Um, so the librarian said, it's like Twilight for grownups. I, <laughs> I remember that line. And initially, like immediately, I'm like, no, 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 no. I am not into the whole Twilight craze. But then she went on to talk about how, you know, how rich it was in history and how well written it was and, you know, it was, she was a page turner for her. And so I checked it out and I was hooked, completely hooked on A Discovery of Witches. Um, and I got it in the audio book so I could uh-huh. listen to it. And, um, and so that for me is one of like the best kind of fiction, like my best favorite fiction that I've ever read. She does this interesting thing where it's in first person for the first couple of chapters it, from the from the witch's perspective, um, Diana, and then she switches, and it's kind of omnipresent from like watching Matthew kind of process how he's falling in love with mm-hmm. Diana, which I know kind of sounds so like I don't know lame, like they're falling in love, but it was really <laughs> interesting. I think it was just it, and the way she did it, and it wasn't jarring because sometimes you know when you read a book and they switch up like that, you're like, wait, what just happened? Right. But the way she did it was so seamless. And then she kept doing that throughout the book. And so it just created just this really well-rounded story. So Discovery of Witches, my all-time favorite fiction. Um, then my next favorite book would be Pastrix by Nadia Bowles-Weber. Mm-hmm. Tell us and a little I, bit about that. Yeah, I chose Especially, that one. I didn't know Pastrix was a real word until yeah. quite a bit into the book. I know. I thought it was just some like pejorative thing that they, word that they made up for her because she's a, she's a woman um, pastor in the Lutheran church. Um, so Nadia Bowles Weber, I, um, I really loved Pastrix for a couple of reasons. Um, I really think she's a beautiful writer and she's very honest to her voice. And so I feel like sometimes somebody can be a beautiful writer. And then when you hear them like speak or you're there at a reading, they sound nothing like their writing voice. But with Nadia, it sounds like, oh my gosh, she actually sounds like this, and she's able to write so well. And mm-hmm. so, so there's, you know, there's some press words in it. And there's, she, she talks about some really good <laughs> I, I think the first word in the book might be, uh, <laughs> yes. might get bleeped. Right. So, um, so that's, you know, but that didn't bother me because it just felt really honest. And I loved Pastrix because um, the subtitle is something like The Cranky Beautiful Face of a, I, I forgot the, the, sub, the, the subtitle, but, um, I just really loved her base journey and how she was really um, 
you know, she came, she had just such a rough start. And then now that she's this pastor and she's just able to communicate her faith in a way that's really accessible for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I loved that. Oh, that's um, a memoir. Does that mean you read it with, with a pen and a highlighter? So actually, no, because I usually listen to memoirs. And the next one I'm going to share is a memoir too. And I especially love memoirs that are read by the author. Uh-huh. And Pastrix was read by Nadia. And so that's, that's one that I got to Audible. Um, the, ne- the, the, other, the last book that I love is A Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. And mm-hmm. it's fairly new. I think it just came out like in, I don't know, like in the na- past couple months. Yeah, it seems like I- it's still everywhere. It's still everywhere. I mean, and it's still full price at Target. <laughs> the, the true sign. <laughs> right. Um, so year of guess. I have never, I never even knew who Shonda Rhimes was. My husband and I kind of binged watch Scandal for our anniversary one year. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I, I, you know, I didn't realize who she was in connection to, she kind of owns Thursday night TV between Grey's Anatomy and scandal and how to get away with murder. I didn't know this about her. Now the she's reason- a. It's been a while since I read maybe half that book. I haven't finished it yeah. yet. You can tell me why I should. Um, she's <laughs> she's a writer for those shows, isn't she? Right. So she's a show creator and she's she's the writer. So like the story runner. So she has people that write for her, but she's the one that she she uses this analogy in her book that she lays down the track for the train to drive on. Uh-huh. Or to, so she's the one that sort of like, like lays the story out for everyone. So she decides um, what happens. Exactly. That's um, a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Um, and so I started, I read, uh, I, I picked up Year of Yes, because like I said, I didn't really know who Shonda Rhimes was. Why should I listen to her? But one of my good friends who studied African-American literature for her master's, um, I was telling her about my one, my desire to read books written by more African-American women this year. And she said, oh, right now I'm reading A Year of Yes and it's given me life. You need to read it right now. Um, that sounds good. So, I know, right? And so, um, so I, I got it based on her recommendation. And what I really love about A Year of Yes, because I think with a topic like, I'm going to say yes to all the things that scare me, it's kind of a trendy thing that people mm-hmm. are talking about right now. And I, and so for that reason, I wanted to turn my nose up at it. But I think the way she, the way she is able to talk about her fear and the way she's able to talk about the things that have held her back from saying yes. And she's really good at her, like her self-reflection. She's so good at that, but she's also really funny. Now tell me a book you hate. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> I hate this book. Um, and I feel so <laughs> bad for saying it. I feel so bad because I know people love it so much. It's been revolutionary for a lot of people. But I really, really hated the help. There are so many reasons to hate a book. Tell us why it's your it's your pick here. Uh, okay. Um, well, I think the biggest thing that I didn't love about it was that... Um, it felt like to me uh, that, I, I mean, I wanted to love the premise of it, that this girl who whose life was so affected and she loved the help in her, her home so much that she wanted to give them a platform to tell their stories. And she's a, she's a writer. Like, I, I loved that. I Like, I wanted to love that. But for me, it just felt a little bit exploitive. Um, of their stories. And I just wish that there was a way, and I, I, I think I remember hearing that it was a little bit like autobiographical, autobiography, like a little bit of 
that. But I wish that there was a way to sort of honor their voices in a little bit more, I don't know, that it was, it didn't felt so pejorative, not pejorative, but it just, for me, it felt that I really wanted the Black women to have more of a, a say and to have more agency in the way that they told their story and not necessarily be because of you know the, the white woman that they all serve. Or, right. Or um, and it is true that so many people love, love, love that book, but, mm-hmm. but the help has received a lot of criticism, like from scholars and from women on the street for exactly the reason you're talking about. Right. And the other thing too is I, you know, I feel like a lot of our stories African-American stories center around slavery or the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the fact that this book sort of blew up and it was really honing in on that time, um, it felt like it celebrated, it just celebrated that time or it gave more attention to it. And it kind of perpetuated for me that, or it made it harder for me to find books and love books that talk about all the joyful things about being Mm African-American. And our stories not always have to be centered around that. And then we're celebrated because we're these amazing servants at this one point of time in history, which, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and then I was just really sad with some, some of the um, relationships in the, in the book and um, they didn't feel very authentic to me. And so I just, I, I tried to go to the book with a really open mind mm-hmm. and I was actually had no interest in reading The Help until one of my girlfriends wanted to see the movie. And so I have this thing where if there's a, movie out based on a book I won't see the movie until I read the book Mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem fair um and so I forced myself to read it and I you know there were some truly beautiful moments um and I think the writing is 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 pretty great but I just for me I just wish that that there was more again like agency of the black women in the book than there was I hear you on that I never did see the movie yeah better worse worth it uh I mean, if it's on like, you know, USA and you're folding laundry, sure. Turn it <laughs> okay. Rigging praise. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Oshita, what are you reading right now? Okay. So right now um, I am trying to read, like I've mentioned before, I'm trying to read books by um, African-American authors or with an African-American protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm reading Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. Uh-huh. How are you liking that one? Uh, I am loving it. Again, I'm listening to it in audiobook because I heard from oh, my friend who is uh, who suggested A Year of Yes. I heard that it was free verse poetry. And I love, like I love spoken word poetry so mm-hmm. much. And so I've, I wanted to hear how, I wanted to hear it. And, and Jacqueline is actually the one reading it in, in the audiobook. And so it's just beautiful. Uh-huh. I did There's, that on Audible too, not that long yeah. ago. It was so well done. And I feel like for me, I'm, I'm, it's one of those um, audiobooks that I can just turn on at any point and just be completely blown away by not just her writing, but her ability to tell a story. And then in, and at the end of each you know, section, you you've gotten something you've learned a little bit more and mm-hmm. you've grown a little bit more at least for me like that's how I feel listening to it it feels very honest to me as a as a black woman like I, there are so many things that she talks about as as a black girl and as like coming of age that just really resonate with me mm-hmm. um 
And so I just love that. I, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And like I said, I feel like it's going to be one of those things, one of those books that I just go back to all the time because it's becoming like a good friend to me. Um, the next book that I'm reading is, a, is another one that was a recommendation, um, Fan Girl by Rainbow Rao. Uh-huh. Is that the right way to say I her name? So. I, always, I think so. I think so. Okay. I'm not a big fan of hers. Um, I read Attachments. Mm-hmm. And it was it was good. It was it was good. It was good enough. It was one of those things that I could pop on um, and listen to while I'm you know working out or taking the dog mm-hmm. for a walk. Um, and so I'm listening to Fangirl. I'm trying to, to get through it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and the reason why I really want to commit to it is one, I have like this really weird. Um, interest in fan fiction. Uh-huh. Like, I'm, I don't think I'll ever do it because that's just the, I, I don't think I'll do it. And, but I just, I think it's so fascinating that somebody can be so taken by characters or a place that they want to, they want to spin off from it and create their own story. So, um, so I want to, I want to understand more about, about the uh, cast. I think that's the main character. Uh-huh. But then, Supposedly, the, the the book that she's spinning off is like sort of like Harry Potter, and I am a huge Harry Potter nerd. Like I love Harry Potter. Like I told my husband that my dream date would be for us to go to Universal to to like see the Harry Potter exhibit. Like you should do. I it. love I love Harry Potter. I mean, I've never been, but if that's the dream date, you should totally do it. Yeah. Well, when when they were when the like touring expedition came to the um, Boston Museum, the Museum of Science in Boston. Um, we were, our kids were really, really little and we were so broke. And I, I literally cried like actual big tears when we realized I could not go. So for that reason, I want to give Fangirl a lot of attention and I want to get through it. So you need to power through Fangirl so you can get to carry on. That's what you're yes! saying. Okay. That's, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. See, I wasn't going to read carry on because I didn't particularly enjoy Fangirl. Really? But, yeah. But just a couple of days ago, somebody was talking me into it. Hmm. Yeah, so I no, think I, I will really, give it a try, but I haven't yet. Okay, good. So I'm, that's good to know that I'm not, because I feel like all of my friends just have such high praise for Fangirl, and so you know, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep at it. And then the last book that I'm reading is really funny, and I'm really enjoying it. It's um, called The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Uh huh. Tell us about East it, right? Yeah, and so I don't even know who Issa Rae is, but you know how you kind of fall down the rabbit hole of you, you you read this, you might like this. And then like an hour later, you're marking books that you've never even heard about. <laughs> I am, for better or worse. <laughs> yes, I completely know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, so that, this, I found this like at the bottom of one of those rabbit uh-huh. tracks. Um, so uh, Issa Rae is uh, like a YouTube, like a YouTube sensation. And she has her like own YouTube channel and she she makes makes these videos and she's, um, her family is from Singali. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually are, they're from South, Southern California. So they have, her dad has a health clinic in Compton. So we're in Southern, we're in LA. So it's not too far from uh-huh. us. What I really love about this book is it's funny. Um, she's able to talk about hard things like hair, like Afri- like our struggle with our hair. Um, and be so fun, like so entertaining about it and so self-deprecating, but also just um, empowering. Like uh-huh. you feel, I, I feel so good about having a black girl hair now that I've read a misadventure. Not that, not that I didn't love 
our hair, like for black women, our hair has always kind of been like this fraught topic that we have and we do so many different things to it. And we just, um, and so she, she talks, there's this whole section where she talks about that. And it just, just, it was just, like I said, empowering. Um, she also mentions um, how she never felt black enough um, and she didn't quite understand some like culturally black things. And so she, and that kind of like falls into that, that awkward black girl kind of mm-hmm. part of the title. And I really resonated with that. And so just her talking about like how she says the wrong things or like she came to school and everybody was like, who's too, like, she, like Tupac died. And she's like, what's Tupac? Where's, who's Tupac? Like, I totally get that. And Tupac was this, I, like, huge, influential mm-hmm. hip rapper. And he had a tragic death. But um, so many people loved him and found a lot of life and direction in his, in, his, in his words. And so when he died, it's just, like, this huge ripple in the African-American community. And so when she goes to school and everybody's mourning Tupac, she's like, wait, what happened? And I totally get that because I wasn't allowed to... I didn't know about hip hop or I wasn't allowed to watch BET or things like that. And so I really love that part of the book. It just feels like, um, it just feels joyful. And that's really what I enjoy. Oh, good adjective. Thanks. Okay. Is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Yes. Um, I want to, I want to read, um, like I said, I'm doing this thing. um, I have a reading challenge for myself this year is I want to read more books written by African-American women or have African-American protagonists, women, hope, probably, ideally, but it could be boys too. Mm-hmm. Well, you've certainly laid a strong foundation for that with your picks, and I have ideas for that shelf. We'll get right to it after the break. Okay, welcome back. Oshida, here's what I'm noticing about your picks. They're a mix of inspirational, thought-provoking, and just plain enjoyable reads. And they are all story-driven. Like even Shonda Rhimes and Nadia Boltz-Weber, your nonfiction books, they just tell story upon story upon story to get their message across. Does that sound right to you? Yep, that sounds exactly right. So I've got three definitely varied picks for that shelf. Okay. Book one is your issues book. It is How It Went Down by Kekla Magoon. It's a YA novel, although it's strongly reminiscent of real life events. Is this a title you're familiar with? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. So this has been praised and criticized for being like the Trayvon story brought to fiction. It's it's nuanced. It's thought provoking. It's about a neighborhood shooting that may or may not be connected to gang violence, depending on who you believe, because she tells the story from multiple points of view and those often conflict. So it's the unreliable narrator times 10 because you have no idea who can be trusted and who can't. So even though the headlines aren't always a promising beginning for a good YA novel, she steers this away from getting too simplistic. She doesn't exactly follow that, that event by any means. Um, But she manages to, to take a current event and transform it into a YA novel um, in a way that, uh, you know, fiction provides a distance to let you think through the issues going on in the world without necessarily talking about the news and the headlines. Right. And she does a good job of, of doing that with this book. And okay. she is definitely an author to keep an eye on. She has a half dozen or so award-winning YA novels out and she's still putting them out every couple of years. So I'll definitely be paying attention to what, what she puts out in the future. Book two is a memoir. It's called The Light of the World, and it's by Elizabeth Alexander. 
Is this okay. one you're familiar with? No. Okay. Well, it might be best known for being Michelle Obama's favorite book of 2015. When oh. all the year-end lists came out, um, th- this one was mentioned a lot. And that was always, I mean, if Michelle Obama says that a book was her favorite, like you got to work that in wherever you can, I think. Oh, you know what? This is actually on my Audible wish list because <gasps> I, I pulled up the picture of the cover and I, I totally, oh my gosh. This is I, exciting. I can imagine this sounding beautiful. I read the hardcover. I haven't even heard the Audible sample, but I'm very curious because um, the writing is just so beautiful. So mm-hmm. it's a memoir. It's the story of a marriage. And what happened is the author, who was a Yale professor, she teaches poetry. She's won all kinds of poetry awards. She actually read, before this book came out, she was probably best known for reading a poem at Obama's inauguration. I think the 2009 inauguration. But this story is... Um, the story of her husband's death just four days after he turned 50, you know, he was healthy as a horse and then dropped dead on the treadmill. And this is her look back a few years later at their life together, at their love and the impact of that loss in her life. And I'm kind of skittish about books like these because she's writing like my worst fears come to life. So I'm not sure that's a healthy place to go if I don't need to, but a, a friend gave me a push and it is about loss, but Mostly it's about, it's about the love and the loss is only significant to her because the love was so great. And Mm. she's just such a good storyteller and the material she has to work with is amazing. I mean, her life with her husband and their two, their two sons just sounded so interesting. So she's an American. She was born in Harlem and they're the same age. They're within a couple months of each other. So at the time she's writing about, um, they were both 50 and her husband was born in Eritrea in East Africa. And he came to New Haven where they met as a refugee from the war. So they were both artists. He was a painter and that's his painting on the cover of the book that you're seeing on Audible. And their home just sounds like this amazing, vibrant, multicultural extravaganza with food and friends and music and art. Like it is a memoir. It's a true story, but you can easily imagine this being a novel by an author who does female characters really well, like say Elizabeth Berg. Um, But her husband just seems absolutely like, like someone you could know, but also kind of larger than life in the way some important people in your lives are. And it's just, it's really beautiful. Book three is your page turner. It's Love is the Drug by Aliyah Don Johnson. Do you know anything about this? No. Okay. So this is a YA novel. Imagine it, it's new. It just came out in the last year or two. So imagine Gossip Girl meets Station Eleven with a dash of spy thriller. Plus, it also weirdly reminded me of A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline oh, Langle. Oh, that's exciting. Okay, so here's what happens. The story revolves around Emily Bird, who is a smart, privileged girl at a Washington, D.C. prep school that's for the kids of the nation's elite. So she's going to school with like the kids of the vice president and the diplomats and the Congress people and all the movers and shakers. So she knows what's expected of her, especially by her parents. And that's... They want her to make amazing grades, get into an Ivy League, date a boy who's going places in D.C., relax her kinky hair, and basically fulfill her rich kid destiny. But, you know, that's enough material for a YA novel right there. But right. <laughs> but we, we got to ramp it up. So a flu virus that's been affecting California explodes and becomes a pandemic, which means way more work for Emily's scientist parents who already aren't particularly involved in her life when they're not telling her what to do. Um, they are key players in developing a vaccine to this flu, which is rumored might be bioterrorism. So because her parents are involved, she is suspected to possibly know too much about everything that's going on by it 
dangerous rogue CIA agent. Wow, oh this, this is so over the top. So, and because that's not enough, her love life suddenly gets way more complicated. So this, so, this is YA. There is yeah. nothing subtle about this book. Like dangers abound on every level, but it doesn't degenerate into the ridiculous like it could unless skilled hands. It's good yeah. reading. It's suspenseful. It's hard to put down, but you have to know what you're getting into. Like mm-hmm. this is definitely over the top. Oh my god! It's well done over the top, but it's out there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I that sounds like so much fun, and I don't. I, one thing with my reading challenge is I am trying to go through four different types of books every month. Mm-hmm. Um, a memoir written by an African-American author, an intro to African-American lit. So like things like I Know Why the Cage Bird mm-hmm. Sings or Beloved, mm-hmm. a YA or nonfiction. And so the fact that you gave me this really gripping, like super fun YA book, I just, I'm so excited about that. Wonderful. Okay. I also want to give you a Twitter account. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just stumbled across this recently. It's called Black Chick Lit. So spelled black, chick, C-H-I-C-K, lit, like literature. And there's also a blog to go with it. But here's my big beef with this account. It's run by, I think, two women who are students, and they are prioritizing their studies over their blog and their Twitter (laughs) account. And it's just, it's dragging me down. But um, they are, they're more active on Twitter than on the blog. And the whole project just started, I think, back in October. So they've got plenty of time to build this out over years during, you know, summers and spring yeah. break. Um, the the women who run it are the right blend of um, relatable, um, sweet, and snarky. And I just, I I love to see what they're, what they're recommending. And it might just be book lists or it might be the individual titles they're taking a mm-hmm. look at. Oh, but, but that's so helpful. But since you've got many books to get through, if you're reading one a month in four categories, yeah. so more resources are not a bad thing, especially when yeah. they're, you know, entertaining and enjoyable and funny. Right. And I'm one of those people that read several books at one time. And mm-hmm. so the reading four books a month didn't feel so scary to me. Uh-huh. Um, and so now I think it's really good to have like an ongoing resource that I can check in with. Um, so thanks for that yeah, Twitter account. Your, I'm going to follow it right now. Oshida, what do you think you'll read next? Oh man, that's hard. Um, okay. So I can, I'm going to kind of do process of elimination a little bit. <laughs> I don't know that I will read how it went down first, just because I have a 13 year old and that's a little bit of my biggest fear Ooh, right now. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I kind of have to, you know, you kind of have to, um, like, I have to do a little bit of joyful and get like really excited or built up emotionally and then go to the deep, dark place. Right, right. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is read Love is the Drug first because I'm really excited about that. And I was looking at the author while you were talking and she looks, um, she seems amazing. So I, I'm going to read that one first. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Thank you. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, I will let you know. Sounds good. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thanks. This was, I, so everybody has been saying this on your podcast. Like this is like book therapy, (laughs) like my midwife into like African-American literature right now. So thank you so much. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed both these conversations, old and new with Oshida. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Oshida and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 129. That's 129. And it's where you'll find the full and long list of titles we talked about today. 
Tune in next week for Bookish Joy Times 3 with both Kendra Winchester and Autumn Privet from the Reading Women podcast joins me. We're talking about the books that made us fall in love with books written by women. Plus, we're putting a fun new twist on literary matchmaking. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. A good structure is, to me, it's my favorite part of a book. So sometimes I drive Autumn crazy because I'll be like, the structure was terrible. I can't stand the story. And she's like, but it was so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That does happen. Or she'll be like, did you notice the parallelism in the chapters? And I'm like, what? What? What parallelism? Okay, I'm Kendra. Readers, we're awfully close to hitting another big milestone, and that is hitting the 2,000 review mark on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate it so much if you could rate or even better review it on Apple Podcasts. Your ratings and especially your reviews help book lovers find our show. Thanks in advance for taking two minutes to show your support for the show and spread the book love. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.